Well, it is good to be with you tonight to see some uh, familiar faces and some new faces as well. And um, uh, I got a call from Shane, who was just right here, uh, about a month ago or so. And he said, we'd like to know if you would come and do an equip night. And I said, well, I'd, I'd be very interested. He said, because we're doing this topic that we think you'd be perfect for. And I said, well, what is it? And he said, it's grief and disappointment. And I, and I thought, really? Like when you think of grief and disappointment, you think of me. So apparently um, I have a reputation or something that grief and disappointment is, uh, is what I'm perfect for. And, okay, it's not that funny, but I try. Um, you know, if you've lived even a little bit of life, on this earth, you've encountered grief and disappointment, right? Yeah. Can, amen. There we go. Um, you know, when I was uh, working with uh, youth years ago, and we would talk about suffering, like grief, disappointment kind of things, sometimes they would look at me with a, you know, kind of a weird look and and I'd say, you know, if, if in your life you have not yet experienced suffering, just get ready because you will. Um, there is suffering in this life. And uh, the result is, is grief at times, disappointment. And, and what grieves us, what disappoints us will change over time. When you're in your 20s, there are things that, that grieve you, things that disappoint you, that when you're older, they won't in the same way. And so when we talk about grief and disappointment, it's not so much about the thing, it's about the reality of our experience. Uh, so it, it can change over time, it's different for different people, uh, but the one thing that, as we think about grief and disappointment, that is the same for really everyone is that we tend not to like it, <laughs> right? Grief, disappointment... <laughs> Um, you know, that was not in the brochure, right? When you signed up for the course and yet there it is, we tend not to want it or like it. And, and my heart for this time tonight is that by the end of tonight, you'd be willing to say, I'll make friends with grief and disappointment. And even if you're not there, that at least that will be something that you'll consider and, and think about. So, uh, on, on your tables, you've got some notes. And so I, I want to make sure you grab a copy of those notes, the handout. Each, if each person can have one. And there's questions there that I want you to discuss around the tables. And the two questions are these. What is the difference between grief and disappointment? Take a few minutes to discuss that. And then what's the similarity between those two things, okay? So just around your tables, we'll take about five minutes or so to discuss. Okay, so grief and, and disappointment. Let me bring the discussion back up here. So you, you can just shout this out if you want from your table, but, but as far as like what, what is the difference between the two? Any, anything come up? Any thoughts on that? Long-term, short-term, okay. Anything else? There's no timeline. Okay. 
Grief is a loss that you're not going to get back. Disappointment might change, okay? Okay, so grief is where it's, it's, you're grieving something that you've lost, whereas disappointment is about something that you haven't received, right? Okay. Okay, grief feels like a state of being, something you might hold for a long time, whereas disappointment feels more short-term. Is that kind of, okay, yeah. Grief, grief feels a lot heavier um, than, than disappointment, perhaps. Um, but the reality is the way that we experience those things is going to be different for different people. We're going to grieve in different ways. We're going to be disappointed over different things. But they are realities of life, that life doesn't happen the way that we would want. <laughs> we don't want to lose someone that's close to us. That, again, that's not in the plan. For many of us, we haven't experienced things that we thought we would. And we're maybe still dealing with a sense of disappointment that life hasn't quite developed like we thought it would. Now, now the similarity between the two is that they're both about loss. It's, it's maybe losing something you had versus losing something that you hoped you might have. They're both about uh, loss. And, and contrary to what maybe we often think, I want you to look at the quote there in your notes right after those two questions. Parker Palmer in his book, A Hidden Wholeness, said this, the deeper our faith the more doubt we must endure. The deeper our hope, the more prone we are to despair. The deeper our love, the more pain its loss will bring. These are a few of the paradoxes we must hold as human beings. And I think for many of us, the discipleship that we may have received is that in Christ, things are just going to get bigger and better and stronger. <laughs> um. But the reality is, if we're giving ourselves to God and we seek to be someone who loves, we're going to experience loss. We're going to experience pain. If you don't want pain, then really uh, what you need to do is stop loving and close yourself off. But if you're going to be someone who is open and alive, there's going to be grief. There will be disappointment. Loss, hurt, and pain are realities of living in an incomplete world. God is present in this world, and everything has not been healed or restored yet. That's part of our, part of our hope but if we're paying attention, we will experience, we will encounter loss, and our responses will be mixed with grief and disappointment. Now, now how many of you are familiar with uh, Kubler-Ross's stages of grief? Does that sound familiar? The denial, anger, yeah, a few of you. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And, and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross came up with these categories when she was working with people who were in hospice. 
and watched what they were experiencing as they were in real time grieving the loss of their own life. And she observed these things. And often people have talked about the stages of grief, like it starts here and it ends with acceptance, but that's not ever something that that Kubler-Ross said. That's not in the literature at all. In fact, these are more things that happen in grief, within it, within disappointment. And we may go back and forth between some of these things. There's, there's really no timetable. Someone mentioned that. Um, there's not a timetable for how grief and disappointment get worked out. And it's certainly not linear. Um, for those of us in the room who have, who have grieved losses, there's times where you think, gosh, I feel like I'm doing better. And then the next thing you know, it's, it's kind of hard again. It's difficult. So there's no timetable. There's no, uh, game plan in some ways. And I know you're thinking, well, if there's no game plan, then what is this about tonight? We'll just hang in there. Hold on. We'll, we'll talk about a few things I think can give us some handles on this. But, but to go back to what I shared a few minutes ago, there exists within us a temptation to try to avoid grief and disappointment. In fact, so much of our Western and especially American culture is about trying to minimize grief and disappointment, of trying to protect ourselves from it. And even the way that we interact with our faith, we can desire and hope that somehow our faith will protect us from pain, from grief, from disappointment. But God never promises that. In fact, uh, what we find in the scriptures, and you'll, you'll know this, this reference from 1 Thessalonians 4, is that we're invited to grieve, yet not without hope. We're also invited to lament. If we look at the Psalms, 150 Psalms. You're familiar with the Psalms, right? These 150 prayers or songs, and at least half of them are what we would call laments or complaints, where the psalmist is complaining about things and is going to God and saying, why is this happening to me? Why are my enemies winning? God, how long until you do something about this? And what we see in that is, is not that we're not supposed to grieve. And I think sometimes that can be a message that we get. Hey, you know, you don't have to grieve because your loved one is in heaven. You don't have to grieve because we have, you don't have to grieve. But the scriptures say, grieve. They invite us to grieve, but not without hope. And we'll talk about that hope in, in just a second. And then the other part is we're invited to lament. That's the example that we have in the Psalms, in the scriptures. We're invited to bring our hurts, our pains, our disappointments, our grief to God in prayer. And if you've never thought about it this way, it's absolutely fascinating and instructive to realize that half of the prayer book that we find preserved in the scriptures is about people lamenting and grieving in prayer. 
Half of what we find in the, in the Psalm book is about people that are disappointed. And they're bringing it to God in prayer. So we grieve, yet not without hope. And the question then is, well, what is the hope? Is it the hope that everything's going to be fine? That everything's going to be better? No. That's, that's not the hope that we find in scriptures. The hope is Christ himself. And you see that in Colossians 1. Colossians 1 verse 27 uh, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And it's talking there about the gospel being a mystery that's now been revealed. And what is the glory? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you are in Christ, your hope is not even, and, and before you tune out with what I'm about to say, just listen for a minute. Your hope, as someone who's in Christ, is not heaven. Your hope is Christ. Because if you were to go to heaven and Christ isn't there, it wouldn't be heaven. It's heaven because Christ is there. And so our hope is Christ himself. Not just when we leave this earthly existence, right? And then we're in the fullness of Christ's presence with us. But even now, our hope is Christ himself. That's our hope. Our hope isn't that we'll have a pain-free existence. Our hope isn't that we will be healed this side of eternity. Our hope isn't that we won't lose people that are close to us. Our hope isn't that things won't change and things will always get better. That's not reality. And God never promises that. But what he does promise is his presence. His presence with us. So when we think about grief and disappointment, what I want you to hear really clearly is that there's not really a road map. Because if I were to say, here's the road map, here's how you do it, here's how you, it, it's going to be different for different people and how we interact with the losses and the pain. There isn't a road map, but we do have a companion because hope is a person, the person of Christ. And we know from the Old Testament scriptures in Isaiah that are describing Jesus, and it says that he was someone who was acquainted with grief. Hebrews 4 tells us that he can sympathize with us because he suffered as, as we did. You know, in the Psalms, there's uh, Walter Brueggemann. You see a note there on that first page. Walter Brueggemann, who, um, a biblical scholar, 
talked about there being three kinds of psalms. He said there are psalms of orientation, and those are the psalms that are saying, man, life is great. Things are so good. I'm praising you, Lord. And then there are these psalms of disorientation, where life disorients us. The way that we thought things were got flipped upside down. We're disoriented. And that's about half of the psalms. And then we find psalms of reorientation. And, and it's, it's, and if, if there's a roadmap at all, it's that God continually takes us on this path of being in a place where we feel oriented to where then we're disoriented. And then there's a reorientation. We get reoriented to where we are now with Christ, our hope. And so the process is of, is of being reoriented or, or deepened. We don't know why suffering happens. And that's the most honest, truthful thing we can say. The scriptures don't really tell us why suffering happens. We can connect some theological dots, but the one book of the Bible that is about suffering more than any other is one of the wisdom books of the Old Testament, the book of Job. And basically, God says, Job, I, I, I can't even tell you why, because you couldn't understand it. There's a mystery in, in the why of it. But what we do know is that the pains of life and the losses, they can shape us. So, so on the journey, there's, there's not really a roadmap. We do have this companion who's walking with us. And on the journey, there are signposts things to notice. And, and the first one is that loss is an invitation into deeper intimacy with Christ. Loss is an invitation to deeper intimacy with Christ. And the question that comes up in that is, how is he present with me in the midst of this? Then the other thing to notice is that denial and spiritual bypassing are very common. Denial is where we would say, oh, it's not that bad. I'm okay. Yes, I just experienced this loss, but, it, but isn't Jesus good? Everything's fine. And that can even be this kind of spiritual bypassing where we try to use Bible verses to make us pretend like things aren't hard. And God never invites that. He never tells us to just post a Bible verse on top of a difficult thing. He doesn't. He invites us to come to him with our hurt, with our pain, with our disappointment, and to give it to him, to pray it, to pray our doubts and disappointments and fears and losses. You know, earlier when I said, Part of my hope is that by the end of this time, you would decide to make friends with grief and disappointment. And someone, well, not one person, but a few people kind of laughed, like, really? Well, part of what I want you to hear in this is that grief and disappointment, they are painful. It's not something you would choose, but they're actually a good thing. They're a good thing because what they signal is that you've lost something important. And can you imagine 
if you had no capacity to experience grief and you've just lost your spouse of 55 years and you're at the funeral and feel nothing, that'd be horrible. That'd be horrible. Grief and disappointment alert us to the fact that there is loss. You know, when I was a, when I was a young kid, um, I can still remember this. Um, we had one of the appliances in our house went out, went bad or whatever. And we had the repairman come to fix it. And I was probably seven or eight years old. And I was just fascinated watching this guy fix our refrigerator. And so I'm just sitting there, a little annoying kid, probably to him, asking questions. What are you doing, mister? What is this? And what is that? And, and I look over at one point, and he has this big gash in his arm right along here. And it's just bleeding. And I looked at him, I said, mister, you're, you're bleeding. And it was just, it was going all over the floor. It kind of freaked me out a little bit. And he looked at me and he said, oh, it's okay. And he kind of bandaged it up or whatever. And he said, I, I don't have any feeling. I'm not able to feel that pain. I didn't even know that I'd been cut. And so the ability to, to feel the pain like in that situation physically is actually a good thing because it alerts, it would have alerted him to the need to bandage it up. Now, I don't think he was going to bleed out right there in the middle of our kitchen. That would be a little too, too dramatic to say it that way. But the pain, the ability to feel that is, is a good thing. It's not enjoyable. We, we don't want to have losses. But God has a purpose in them because with pain, with the experience of grief and, and, and disappointment, we're able to find healing. We're able to find healing. Now, when it, when it comes to grief and disappointment, and this is the last thing there on the first page of your notes, there is a story that you're telling yourself when it comes to grief and disappointment. There's a story either of deepening intimacy with God, and that's what God is up to, and that's how he's at work in the midst of whatever loss you're experiencing, or the story you could be telling yourself is that what I really deserve is a pain-free existence. This isn't fair. It's not right. How could God do this? Now, we may need to hash through those things and feel those things and be angry at God, God invites that as well. <laughs> and we see that in the Psalms. But generally, we're either telling ourselves a story of deepening intimacy with God, or it's a story of somehow needing or deserving a pain-free existence. And sometimes we're somewhere kind of in the middle but it's really helpful for us to think about it that way. What is the story that I'm telling as I'm encountering this loss or this disappointment? You know, so, some of you know that, um, especially some of you um, old-time Bethany folks who are here, old-time Bethany folks, what does that mean? Um, um, but you know that I, I walked through several bouts with cancer over the last handful of years. Um, 
And, and, uh, that can be a little disappointing, <laughs> especially when I went through cancer and had six months of chemo and they told me I was okay. And then I go back a month later and they go, well, actually it's back. And then I go through six more months of chemo and, um, they thought they got it and they said, Oh, well, by the way, you've now developed another form of cancer on top of it. And I was confronted in the midst of that with what is the story I'm telling myself right now? That I don't deserve this? <laughs> or is it a story of deepening into God? And I had to come back to that over and over again. Lord, what is the story here? What, what is the plot of my life? Is it about everything going great? Is it about bigger and better and faster and stronger? Or is it about deepening intimacy with you, Lord? And I don't think God gave me the cancer to teach me a lesson. <laughs> I don't think that he gave it to me in any kind of way like that. We live in this broken, incomplete world, but I do know that God was at work in the midst of it. I lost my dad two and a half years ago in the midst of COVID. He, he died of COVID. Disappointment, grief. <laughs> I feel that every day. Yesterday was um, my 31st wedding anniversary. It's pretty exciting. Thank you. Yeah, one person thinks it's great. Um, yeah, I, I really, my wife, whew, 31 years she's been putting up with me. You should give her a round of applause. But I don't know why I said that, but. But yesterday was our, was our 31st wedding anniversary, and it was also um, the day my mom died 17 years ago. And so that day um, is always a joyful day. It also has a little bit of that repenting of loss. It was 17 years ago, and I still miss my mom. I still miss her. I still wish that she was around to... I've seen my kids grow up, you know, graduate high school, go to college, all those kind of things. That's disappointing. And, and, I, and I do sit with that, but it comes back to what is the question or what is the story that I'm telling myself in all of that? That I don't deserve to have lost both of my parents at such a young age, you know, because I'm 35. Um, yeah, I'm a comedian too. But what is the story that we tell ourselves? Well, I want you to turn to the next page, and I want, to, I want us to work with this a little bit. And here's three questions that I, I, want, I want you to wrestle with. Three questions. And you have a pen there at your table. I want you to write some answers to these questions. I don't want you to shout it out. It's just between you and the Lord. But the first question is, how do you normally respond to disappointment and grief? Now, don't think about it too much. I don't want you to try to analyze it and go, how should I? But just how do you normally respond to it? How do you normally respond to grief and disappointment? Just what comes to your mind? Just right here in the moment. 
Maybe it's just a simple word. It's maybe sad, mad. Maybe you ignore it, try to ignore it, or maybe you try to fight it. How do you tend to respond to grief and disappointment? Now, here's a second question. What negative beliefs do you hold about God and your life with him that may keep you from moving toward him and deepening intimacy and, and that being the story that you're telling? And I've just got some examples here. Um, I won't be protected. I've done something wrong. And we're talking about this in the context of, of loss. Um, God would never do this to me. I don't deserve this or I do deserve it. I'm not enough. Maybe just if there's any of those that resonate, underline it, circle it. Maybe there's something else you might write in there. And then the third question, what temptations might you often fall into with grief and disappointment? And, and just here's some examples um, in terms of what we said before about the temptation to try to um, maybe avoid or deal with grief and disappointment. Um, just notice if there's any of these that stand out to you. Pretend like it's not happening. Try to control it. Maybe it's self-condemnation. What did I do to deserve this? I must have done something wrong. Maybe you try to protect, denial. If there's any of those that stand out to you, maybe just underline it or circle it. This might be something that you come back to and spend some more time with, uh, because certainly in an hour and a half on a Wednesday night, as you are encountering or dealing with grief and disappointment, you're not going to leave here tonight and go, oh, I've got it all figured out. Everything's good now. Um, but hopefully there's, there's some tools that can help you process and, and think through what's happening in me as I'm experiencing grief and disappointment. What is the story that I'm telling myself about this? And some of these questions can be very helpful in unpacking what that story might be. Thinking about how we respond. Where are some things maybe I believe about God? What are some of the temptations that I often uh, fall into? Now, now, given all of this, I want you to consider how this can work itself out. There at the bottom of page two, uh, you'll see the grief and temptation cycle. And, and basically, you see there in the middle that there's an event. There's something that happens. There's, there's a loss that, that brings up grief. There's something that hasn't happened or maybe you feel like never is going to happen that just gives you this sense of disappointment. So there's something, there's an event, and often our temptation, if you go over to the right on that chart, is to seek to stay safe. Because it hurts when we experience grief and disappointment. And often that desire to stay safe is, is fueled by old beliefs, old stories, those things we were talking about before, I don't deserve this, or whatever it might be. 
And then that can lead into some of those temptations to pretend, to protect, to perform, whatever it might be. And then when that becomes our pattern, we can get stuck. We can get stuck in our grief and disappointment. Now, I don't in any way want to suggest that you can somehow get out of grief and disappointment. There are some things that will stay with us, and they should, and it's okay. They change. They're transformed. They get shaped in different ways over time, but there are some things that will stick with us. But we can get stuck in them. And then what can happen is then we go back and, and we just want to stay safe and so we can engage in the same old thing and we keep re rehearsing the same old story. I don't deserve this. This should not be a part of things. And then the temptations. And there can be a cycle there that we get stuck in that just keeps going. Now, the other side is we move to a place of trust. And opening ourselves to God. We open ourselves to Him. And part of what that looks like is curiosity. What, what, what is going on here, God? What is the story that's being told? I, I know the, the plot is about deepening intimacy with you, and you are the hope of my life. I know that, but Lord, how, what's happening here? And so we might, Say, I wonder. As we, as we engage in that kind of opening ourselves to God, then it becomes something that we express in the moment. And that's where the Psalms of lament come in. And we express that to God. And we say, what is going on? What is the story that's being told? And as we do that, it can lead to some healing can lead to some healing. And then it goes to a place where, again, it can cycle through. And as we experience some healing, we continue to trust God and open ourselves to him in curiosity, in learning and growing. God, what are you doing? What are you up to in all of this? Now, I want us to just pause for a moment, and I want you to just consider with the Lord, what, what is standing out to you? What is, what is God saying to you in this? How do you sense the, the Spirit is speaking to you? And just take a moment and pause and consider that with the Lord. Now, here in a second, we, I think, are maybe going to have some Q&A. I want to say a few things before that. Shane, are we going to have some Q&A? Am I seeing a thumbs up? Okay. Um, so we're going to do that here in, in just a second. Um, but, but let me say this. As, as we experience the losses, the pain, whatever they might be, the event that's right there in the middle, one of the questions that, that we have to wrestle with is, do I feel safe with God, with my grief, with my disappointment? And, and that may be something that you, you need to uh, consider. Do I feel safe with God? And to feel safe, 
we're invited to do what might not feel safe, and that's to lament, to pray our grief, to pray our disappointment, to pray our pain with God. And, and so on the next page, you'll notice on page three there, the, um, uh, there's an invitation to write your own lament. And again, this is something I want to invite you to, to take with you that as you're considering a, a space of grief or disappointment, what would it be like to write out a prayer to God that is about your grief, your disappointment, your sense of loss? Now, now very simply, a lament psalm you see there, um, it begins with addressing God. It's then has a complaint. And that's actually the technical way that scholars talk about the lament Psalms is you're complaining to God. And God is inviting that. And, and we're requesting something. God, will you take this away from me? Or God, will you? And, and there's often a request to it. And sometimes what we find in the lament Psalms is that the requests aren't even theologically correct. You know, in one of the, in one of the Psalms, there's actually a complaint. The, the people of, of Israel are saying, God, why are you letting the Babylonians do this to us? And they're complaining about it. And the prayer is actually, God, would you kill their children? That's there. It's in the Bible. Okay. <laughs> That's not a request that God is going to grant, but God allows it to be asked because it's real. And so we come with the request and then we say, God, I trust you. And that's the simple kind of pattern of a lament of that kind of prayer. Lament helps us tell the story. It helps us tell the story. Now, are we going to have some questions? Let's, let's, yeah, let's do a few questions. There's still time if you want to send in questions. I have received a bunch of them already that we're, we're prepared with. But uh, if I'm looking at my phone, I promise I'm not just scrolling through Instagram. I'm looking at your questions. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for, uh, for what you shared so far, Ted. And uh, lots of, of follow-up questions. One of them I want to start with is, uh, is it possible to grieve a loss before it even happens? So perhaps someone who's a caretaker of someone with Alzheimer's or dementia, and it's just like a long, slow, anticipatory grief. Of course. Yeah. And that's going to be different for different people, but of course. When you know it's coming, it'll be something that you grieve. Yeah. And that's, that feels very normal. What's the, what's the best way to come alongside somebody who's in the grieving process and, and support them? Listen. Ask them, what are you experiencing? Um, tell me. Just to ask and to listen. Um, that's the most important thing you can do is to listen. I think something can be said of, of Job's friends. The best part of their job was when they showed up and just sat with them. And then when they started telling them what to do is when they really uh, stopped being beneficial to them. Right. Um, someone mentioned, is it possible that you'd become dependent on a relationship with, with God in a way that would cause you then to uh, avoid the world because you don't, you don't trust anyone, you're scared to get hurt again, so you just go to the only place you feel, you feel safe with God? Is that possible? 
I guess how, how would you handle that? Yeah, well, of course. I mean, I think that would be possible that you shut yourself off. Um, but that's certainly not God's heart is that you shut yourself off to the world. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's dealing with the pain and loss of the pains and losses of the world is tricky. Um, and it's not smooth. And, um, uh, we need other people in our lives to, um, to be the listeners that will companion us and, um, walk with us. Someone mentioned, uh, trying to at the same time, love people and be compassionate, but also like guarding yourself so that you won't get hurt. Um, how would you, how would you go about doing that? Well, there's a, I would think there's a balance in that. Um, there's, there can be a wisdom if you know that someone has hurt you over and over again. Um, there might be a wisdom in shifting and changing the way that relationship works. Um, so there can be a wisdom in uh, protecting yourself. Um, but if you want to open yourself up fully to love and to life, there's going to be hurt. So, so you can't, you can't really fully do that or you just then shut down your heart. Uh, what would you say to someone who says, I, I experienced the loss of a parent, but I also didn't feel like I grieved? Well, um, You know, I think that's where there, there could be a lot of things going on with that. Um, uh, as far as if the person says, I just feel like I didn't grieve, I wasn't really sad. You know, you might bring that to prayer and, and say, God, is there something that I'm missing here? Um, is there a reason why I'm not grieved over, for instance, losing a parent? Um, yeah. Would you say something maybe like, is there something wrong with their heart? Because yeah, I'm sure... If, if I experienced that someone close to me died and I just felt just nothing, um, is that one appropriate means of, of experiencing loss or is that, well, there's something deficient, you should fix it? Well, um, I think to say there's something wrong or if it's bad or deficient probably isn't the best way to think about it. Um, it's probably more along the lines of if you experience a loss and you don't feel anything, a question would be, have I shut something off um, to where I'm not feeling um, and I'm not experiencing any kind of grief or, or disappointment? Um, and so I, I think we could get very self-condemning in it and say, well, I should be feeling this way or should be feeling that way. But, but you have to be where you are. Um, and again, I think you bring that to prayer. You bring that to God. You maybe bring it to a friend and say, gosh, I just feel like I'm not feeling anything. Um, will you sit with me in that? Uh, this is a, this is an interesting question because I think it's, it's parallel to grief and disappointment, maybe more even on the disappointment side. Um, but one thing that people are e expressing more and more in recent days, uh, is their experiences of church hurt that they, they went to a church and they expected much and it didn't turn out at all. And people were the opposite of what they thought. Um, and so that's an, an enormous type of disappointment, maybe even a grief, if that's a place that you really you know, cared about for a long time. Um, 
how how would you counsel someone who's going through that type of hurt to open themselves up again? Wow. Yeah, that's that's a um that's a tough one. I think um when we experience hurt in in the church in a place that we at least have an expectation or feeling like it should be safe and those kind of things wouldn't happen there. Um, uh, it can be even more disappointing and grievous in a way. So um, I think you have to process through that grief. You bring it to God, you lament it. Um, and, and in that process of lamenting, there can be healing and ultimately hopefully it, it would deepen your um intimacy with, with Christ. And as far as opening yourself back up, there's no timetable or, you know, exact roadmap on exactly this is how it works. Um, but I, I think, I think in a lot of ways, what that illustrates is that often we have expectations that certain things are not going to hurt. Certain things are not going to, um, disappoint us. And, and then we set ourselves up for, um, getting stuck because we've told ourselves a story that, for instance, church will never be a hurtful place. Well, churches are made up of broken, uh, flawed people that have not been completely transformed in Christ, right? So, so church will be a place where there's hurt and, uh, there are no perfect churches. As much as I know this one is, right? Um, We're a church of imperfect people. That's actually it's in, in our your, slogan. That's actually. in your slogan. Yeah. Yeah, but 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 let's let's be honest about that. And it's and it's beautiful. I think that is stated so beautifully. But it's one thing to say and go, oh, yeah, we're imperfect people, and that's all fine and good until you're hurt by an imperfect person at church, right? And so it's okay to say we're all imperfect, but then when it affects you personally, that's hard. And so I think it's great that that's a part of the the tagline for the church because that at least sets this church up for a better story, yeah. that it's not going to be perfect and it is going to hurt. And then the church can become a place where we're working through those hurts together, acknowledging that there's imperfection. Yeah, I think that speaks to the fact that we we believe a lot of things hypothetically. You know, like I'm a desperate sinner that needs Jesus. Yes, yes, I know that. But do I really feel that in my heart? And other people are desperate sinners in need of Jesus, but do I actually feel that? And and encountering that church hurt, I think, is when you really come to terms with, I have to believe what I say I believe. Um, one person mentioned that, uh, you know, the, the Bible does describe God as as disciplining those whom he loves, and he might remove things because it's a means of discipline. Uh, is there a way to distinguish whether, you know, I'm experiencing loss because I'm being disciplined by God for something versus this is just the general loss of how life works? So is there a way to distinguish? Yeah, how would you know which one it is? You know, I think that's, um, that can be, well, it's difficult, right? It It can be kind of nuanced and that's where we need people in our lives that can listen to us and we can ask those kind of questions. We're usually not going to figure that out on our own. And, um, God does discipline, um, for sure. Um, and I think 
often we have to be careful um, not to run to that too quickly and just say, oh, I experienced this loss. I guess God was trying to discipline me. Well, what, you know, what are, what are we saying with that? You know, my, my, my dad died. Was God trying to discipline me? Well, my dad was in Christ. What was he doing to my dad? I mean, so you can kind of run down some weird rabbit trails with that. Um, and I think if you're asking the question and you have an openness to God, <laughs> um, uh, and you're talking to him about it, um, probably he's not disciplining you. But but that's where you need counselors. You need people that can sit and listen. I think sometimes distinguishing between discipline and punishment is is helpful. Um, sometimes we think, like, I did a bad thing, now I'm being punished, as if the, the scales of justice have to be balanced. But discipline is always to train you to be Christ-like. And so in that sense, you know, Almost every experience God sends your way is him disciplining you to train you for Christ-likeness. Well, and in that sense, he uses, yeah, he will use things. We just have to be really careful, I think, not to say God did this to me. You know, when I, I mentioned I went through cancer, some stuff, quite a few things a few years ago, and people would often say to me, well, what's the lesson that God is teaching you? And, and I wanted to punch people in the face most of the time when they asked me that. I'm like, what, what are you saying, that God took me through this to teach me a lesson? That's not the God that I believe in. Now, does, did God teach me deep things, and then he deepened me in, in life with him, and hopefully I, I'm more like Christ through the process of it? Yeah, um, but that's God using something versus um, him in an active way doing something to teach me a lesson. And I think even that gets to the discipline thing of how God will use things to discipline us or shape us. But I think often we come to that word discipline and it's hard for us to separate it from punishment because we think about how earthly parents discipline their children. And what do you think about? It's, it's pretty much punishment. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's where I think we have to think about what are the things I'm believing about God and what is the story that's being told here? This actually, what you mentioned about people you want to punch in the face, segue is great to our next question because. Uh, people, and if you want me to punch you in the face, just come on up. That was the question. No, and I'll let um, Shane do it. They mentioned people often say, you know, foolish or insensitive things to someone who's grieving. Um, how, well, I guess there's it's just two questions in one. One, how do we respond when someone says that? Um, do we just, you know, bear it and or smile, or do we let them know it's insensitive? Uh, and then the second question being, how can we avoid doing that to someone who's grieving? Yeah, well, I think, so the first question, what do you do when someone says something insensitive to you? Um, and I have a little experience with this, um, <laughs> unfortunately, um, because I think often when you're going through something difficult, you're going through a time of loss, um, often people are uncomfortable with the fact that you're uncomfortable. Other people can very, be very uncomfortable that you're in a place of loss and you're grieving and they don't know what to do with it. And so they try to give you advice. And, and I'll, I'll, a few years ago, I had a guy that when I was, I went, I was going through cancer treatments for about two and a half years. And every time I would see him, he would say, you know, I know this doctor down in Tempe that can give you these injections that can cure all your cancer. And 
I mean, the stuff he was talking about medically just absolutely makes no scientific sense at all. Okay. But he would always tell me that. I go, Oh, thank you. You know, and I would just, so I, I probably said thank you about six or seven times to this guy. I just kept saying thank you. And then the eighth time I finally said to him, I said, friend, um, I really think you need to stop giving advice because you're not a doctor, are you? And of course, he never said anything to me about it again. But at one point, I had to put a stop to it because he just kept saying it to me. And I thought, is he saying this to other people too? And, and I just thought, you're, you're giving advice and you're not a doctor. You're, so I, I think we treat, treat it with grace. I, I think we realize that often people are trying to be helpful Often people are just uncomfortable with the fact that you're suffering and, and I, you wish that it was different, but you can have a grace for that. But sometimes after a while, I mean, this guy just kept seeing over and over again. He kept telling me the same thing. I'm like, I'm not going to see this guy in Tempe. You know, the, the other side of the question is how do you come alongside someone who's grieving? Right. Yeah. And not, and not do that. Yeah. So I think you just say, hey, tell me what's going on. How can I help? What are you experiencing? Tell me about your grief. Can you talk to me? I, I, I'm, I'm here. I want to listen. And you just offer yourself and you offer your presence. And if someone wants your advice, they'll ask you. And I, I think um, we can be too quick to be like Job's friends where we just start giving advice. Well, you know, when I went through blah, 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 well, that may or may not be helpful. And usually in the grieving, disappointment process experience, um, there will come a time when maybe we want, quote, advice or we want counsel, but we need to be very sensitive to that. That's my thought. Yeah. Talking about yourself is not as useful as you tend to think it is when you're helping. You know, like, let me tell you about me. You're like, well, it's probably a bad story to be telling, right? Um, unless you've gone through something very similar that they can, you know, they can care about you and relate with. Uh, this next one, I have, I have two questions that I'm going to kind of put together as, as one question. Um, at what point do you, can you recognize that your grief has gone from, from normal grieving or disappointment into that type of without hope? Um, you know, the ungodly type of grief that was mentioned in, in the first Thessalonians passage. Um, and then similarly with that, is there a point where uh, you can recognize someone else is grieving in a way that they may need like professional help or a counselor to help them through it and they're not just doing normal grieving? Those are great questions. Um, I think one of the perhaps most helpful ways to think about it is um, has the grief and disappointment altered your life in such a way that you're not able to function? Um, has it shifted things in, in your life in such a way that um, you're not able to carry on with normal, you know, kind of activities of life? And certainly when, when you first experience a big loss, that's going to be there. But if it's persistent and it goes on or it, you know, it deepens, um, that might be something in us that we say, I, I know that there's some things I'm not going to get over, but this is, this is 
gone on and on and it, and it feels like I'm stuck, that might be a place where you would say, you know, I need to reach out to somebody um, and just ask them for help. Um, on the other side, I, I think to your point, we have to be really sensitive to not labeling where someone is and say, well, gosh, by this time you should be over it. Because when I experienced a similar loss, you know, I was good at this amount of time. So I think it's about asking questions and just saying, what, what can I do to help? You know, do you think it would be helpful, uh, to talk to somebody that maybe has some expertise in grief? Um, you know, there's a lot of great grief programs that, that people can go through. We were talking about that when we met, um, you know, kind of like these, these 12 week kind of things that can kind of help you start to process through and think through, through grief. And so I think it's a lot about asking questions and then listening. Um, there, there are some people who have expressed, they feel like they've, they have a, enough um, social credit with their friends to mention grief a few times, but then after a while they feel, I've, I think I've worn my friends out. Can I stop mentioning, should I stop mentioning my grief to them after a few weeks or months? Um, or, or can I continue to do that? I, I guess the question is like, you don't want to burden somebody or. Yeah. I, I, Cause you don't want your friends to be like, all right, you, you've used up all of your, you know, there's uh, the, there's the sad by guy. now, right? Here comes Shane, yeah. man. He's always sad. And so the, the, tempt always... yeah, the temptation would be to stuff it down and like, well, I can't talk about it anymore. I don't want to become a sad Shane. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think on the one hand you have to say, what kind of friends do I have? You know, if, if I can't come to them with, what I'm really feeling, but at the same time, that might be a thing to say, gosh, I'm not, I'm, I'm just not sure I'm able to function normally because I, I, I feel like I'm always having to bring this up with people. And, and, you know, or, and so that might be where somebody says, gosh, maybe I need someone that I can sit down specifically and process these things with. Um, so there's not a, there's not maybe a really clear timetable or, roadmap for exactly how that works. But I think it does go back to that question of in that situation, it might feel like my ability to relate to people in kind of more normal ways. It's just, it's not there and it's, and it's not getting back to even some level of normalcy. Uh, I have, and we've got a lot of questions actually. And, and uh, I have, we haven't been able to address all of them. Uh, we would love to continue to respond to your questions. So if you asked us a question that is extremely important and we didn't get to it, uh, just feel free to, to text again and say, hey, can you please follow up with me? And uh, we'll be sure we have your number. You've been texting. And uh, we can have Ted himself or, or one of our pastors on staff follow up with you if you didn't have a chance to get your question answered and you really need to. But I, I want to end with this last question, and I'm going to invite Pastor Tim uh, to come to the stage to close us. And that is, um, is it wrong to doubt God's goodness when I'm hurting? <laughs> no. No. I think that's part of lament. Is um, Part of the invitation there is to question, God, why, how is this happening? I, I think that can be a very normal um, response. And, and the thing that you don't want to do with, cause, cause here's the thing. If you're feeling like, I don't think God's good and you, and you're doubting it, 
um, and you're shooting yourself, you know, you're saying, I shouldn't feel that way. I shouldn't feel that way. Well, the reality is you do. And you are questioning that. And the invitation of scripture is to bring that to God and to say, God, I'm not sure I believe you're good. And let that be a part of your conversation with God. God, how long are you going to, Psalm 13, God, how long are you going to do this to me? How long until this changes? That's a question of saying, of really, God, are you good? Um, and, and God gives us the permission to question and to doubt what we, I would say what, what you, if your heart is to, um, uh, follow after God, it's to let that question be a part of your prayer, to let that doubt be a part of how you're interacting with God and not just try to hold it back and, and not interact with it at all, because it'll be something that just goes underground and festers and can create something that just is there running in the background versus bringing it out and, and letting it be a part of your prayer. Because then there can maybe be some healing. There can be some renewal of understanding of who God is. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, ignoring the doubt doesn't make it, make it go away. Um, Ted, thank you so much for coming tonight. Can we all thank Ted? You're welcome. And show him our appreciation. I'm going to invite Pastor Tim, and he'll close us out. Thank you, Ted. That was wonderful. Appreciate it. Shane, thank you for leading us tonight as well. Uh, thank you guys for coming. I want to point you to three things uh, as we leave here. I love that Ted said uh, and joked that we're not going to fix everyone's grief tonight. Um, and I know that all of us know that, but I love his packet because I think it gives us some really practical next steps to continue to work through your grief and continue to, to deal with it and not just ignore it uh, or put it away. And so there's, there's three things I want to point you to in that packet. One is there's some great exercises. The lament that he talked about writing out yourself, I think is a phenomenal homework assignment for all of us, uh, whether you're in the midst of grief right now, uh, or you've just had some grief that's been lingering that you really haven't dealt with. Uh, it's a beautiful way to express this grief to God and with God, not apart from him. And so I would encourage you, there's another exercise in there as well. Encourage you to go through those exercises and then also utilize those resources. Uh, there's some books that he gave and we gave as recommendations for you to, to read for further study. There's also some grief share groups uh, at other churches friends of ours in the valley that you can take advantage of and just show up and just walk through some of these things with some actual people in an environment that's conducive to do so. Uh, and then the last thing is you'll see uh, JK or John Colmeyer, who's our care ministries pastor. You'll see his contact information at the bottom of that last page. And you can use that for a couple of things. John, would you wave in the back? Yeah, there's John. <laughs> Uh, John does a great job with our care ministries, and uh, there's a couple ways you can reach out to him. Is one, if you're going through those exercises, the resources, maybe you're in a community group, and you're like, man, I still need help. I, I still have some questions. I'm still not sure of my next step. John can help point you to that next step uh, if you need help, but also if you want to help. Uh, we talked about a lot of ways not to help tonight. Uh, but there's a lot of ways to help. A lot of it's just the ministry of presence and listening, as Ted so eloquently said uh, many times. And uh, man, we'd love to have you contact John. Maybe you've gone through some grief. Maybe you're even going through it now, but God's using that in your life and could help use it in our body. That's the beauty of 
tonight is it's, it's not just a one-off event where we talk about grief and check that off the list. We're a church family. Amen. And we get to lock arms together and help one another through the valley with God. And so uh, reach out to John, whether it's serving on the prayer team or some other way we come up with to help people who are hurting and grieving. Uh, we want to, to empower you to do that. And so take advantage of all those next steps. I'm going to pray. Uh, thank you guys so much for coming. And uh, let's pray as we close. Father in heaven, we, we do acknowledge that there is there's grief. There is disappointment. There is pain uh, living in this broken world in which we live. And God, I know some people are just trying to learn about this because it's it's something that they've experienced before or they're just interested in it. But God, I also know that there's some people in this room tonight who are in the midst of some deep, deep grief and sorrow. And God, I just pray that you would meet them right now by, by the power of your spirit, that uh, through Jesus specifically, that you would meet them that uh, Jesus, right now, you would just go to them and they would feel your presence. They would know that you're a God who wept. Even though you knew you were going to raise somebody back to life, you wept, you experienced deep grief and emotion, and you can relate to them, but you can also empower them to heal. And so God, I just pray that we would leave here knowing that, that we can go to you and we can go to one another in you and in your name, Jesus and experience healing and find hope. And uh, that's the beauty of the local church. And so help us to do that. Thank you that you are, are good even in the midst of grief and help us to know that and be confident in that tonight as we leave this place and walk together pointed to Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. You guys are dismissed. <laughs>